0: Let's do that hockey.
1: Welcome back to Dauber Prospects Radio. Uh, Very excited for this episode because I'm joined by half of the Dauber Prospects Fantasy Hockey League and contributors to Dauber Prospects, writers, scouts, prospect experts. Uh, We had our annual prospect entry draft uh, just after christmas during the march break it was kind of fun to watch world juniors and do a fantasy draft at the same time usually it's in the summer but with covid impacting the world the way it does uh, that was kind of fun kind of a different experience for the draft uh, so like the episode that i did a while ago with steve laidlaw where we went over another uh, fantasy draft is very similar uh, so this is a 15-team league, for anyone who hasn't heard the details about it on previous episodes. Um, all the all the owners or managers of teams are Dauber prospects, writers, or or alumni. And it's a full roster league, so 15 teams with a 25-man roster and then a full 25-man prospect bench. The only players eligible for our entry draft are players who went through the NHL entry draft in 2020 or players who signed contracts between the end of the season and now that had previously never had their NHL rights owned. So NCAA and European free agents, not to put too fine a point on it. Uh, So with that being said, I'm very happy to be joined by my... This is a, an epic guest episode. I've never had this many guests on at once, so if it, there's some technical difficulties, I apologize. But welcome back for a second appearance on the show. Hayden Sobolewski, our Colorado Avalanche owner and Toronto Maple Leafs prospect writer for Dauber Prospects and the uh, admin of this Fantasy League. And he does a super awesome job. Thanks for joining us, Hayden. Welcome. Thank you, Pete. And listeners of this show, I don't think you've ever been on Will, but they'll be very familiar with your own YouTube sensation show, Will Scouting. The GM of our Minnesota Wild team joins us. Thanks, Will.
0: Welcome. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. I didn't know I was sensational. It's true.
1: It's true. Um, also joining me is a repeat offender on the podcast, uh, Braden Olafson, our New York Rangers owner and prospect writer Braden, welcome back hey peter
2: thank you for uh, having us
1: yeah man this is gonna be fun uh okay so first time long time dave hall he is our columbus blue jackets uh, owner and writer dave welcome to the podcast
3: oh it's my pleasure thanks for having me
1: right on right on and another first time long time we have um mark hillier angry puck known on twitter he's our edmonton oilers guy uh he owns the oilers welcome mark for joining the podcast
4: hey uh pete thanks for having me on
1: yeah man thanks for joining and last but certainly not least the latest addition to the league uh we have nick kaka who's how do i pronounce your last name nick because that doesn't sound right (laughs)
5: That's pretty good, actually. Kauka is how you pronounce it.
1: Kauka? Okay. So Nick is our Nashville Predators owner, and he just joined the league as an expansion team, which was a lot of fun. So we did our expansion draft process before this all started. And, uh, you know, with the Seattle Krakens coming up, and it looks like I might be poised to take over an expansion team in another league as well. Nick, I might have to come have you come back on, and, and we can talk all about fantasy hockey and expansion drafts. That could be a fun episode, too. Uh, But thanks for joining me today. We're going to talk about our draft. So without further ado, let's get to it. Um, It was a 15-round draft, and I think everyone who's on the call had a a first-round pick, fortunately, which will mean everyone's involved. Uh, The first pick was owned by the New York Islanders, uh, and they're not represented on the call, but no surprise there. They took Alexis Lafreniere first overall. Um, I guess the way our league scoring format goes, it's uh, it's a rotisserie head-to-head, so it's categories that count, um, and for forwards, it's goals, assists, plus-minus, power play, shorthanded, um, penalty minutes, hits, blocks, and face-off wins. Um, so based on our scoring format, in the other league that I'm in, very similar format, he went first as well there, but... Um, Steve said he would have taken Byfield first overall. So I'll just kind of throw this out wide open to anyone who thinks that um, that they, they had a different player in mind if they had the first overall pick. Go ahead, anybody.
2: I want to know what, what Will would have done with the first overall pick, because between him and I, we talked quite a lot about the second overall pick, which obviously you'll get to next, Pete. But I'm curious what Will's thoughts are here.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I look at... Quinton Byfield is a bit more valuable in this league long-term, but, uh, I mean, my team is, I've, I've been trying to tell myself that I want my team to be like a contender for the last couple of seasons. And I'm not sure Byfield pushes that, but I mean, the hits, the face-offs, um, that is a factor that will certainly come into play for him. I don't know how much Lafreniere is going to be throwing his weight around or blocking shots. I don't think he's going to be taking many face-offs. Like he's going to be a valuable offensive guy, but, uh, I mean, it was a much close, I think it would have been a very, very close one. We, honestly, the, the interest from second overall was more about taking whoever didn't go first. Uh, but getting third ain't so bad. Right. I uh, I
1: probably would have taken Lafreniere first overall too. Um, I'm not sure how much he'll move the needle on the um, peripheral stats like hits and face-off wins because, you know, he's a winger as opposed to a center. Um, But you make a good point there that he'll be contributing right out of the gate. Um, That's the expectation anyways. That was the same thought we had with Capocacco and and Jack Hughes last year, and they didn't really move the needle either. Um, Does anyone think that Byfield's going to play in the NHL? So before the draft, way back early COVID stages, I had uh, Craig Button on and and we were talking about how Byfield should go back to the OHL because he's, Um, He hasn't really dominated at any level yet. And I still stand by that. But the only caveat here is there might not be an OHL season for him to go to. So if there isn't, I guess, obviously he stays with, with the Kings. Um, Does anyone else see any other um, potential outcome for, for Byfield going into this season?
2: I, I would think in, in any kind of regular season, Pete, that we'd, see Byfield get his you know half dozen games or whatever right. And then in in what we're dealing with now with the truncated season, um I almost wonder if that that makes uh the circumstances kind of uh lend lend themselves towards Byfield playing you know an extended audition up until when his entry level slide comes into effect in LA. And obviously the the main factor there though is if, if he's gonna be able to contribute and and prosper in Los Angeles.
1: I don't know. All right, Braid. Well, you you had the second overall pick. Uh and let's so let's just get right to it here. You you picked Byfield at second overall. Um bit of a no-brainer there, right? Yeah. So if he went first overall, would you have been disappointed?
2: No, I wouldn't have been disappointed getting Lafreniere at, at second overall at all. No. Um right. and, and like I mentioned. And he's a ranger. Little, and he's a ranger, exactly. So and and one of the big reasons I took I, I took over rating for the Rangers with Dollar prospects. I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. is My wife is a Rangers fan, and yep. uh, I grew up a Leafs fan. But uh, but anyhow, um, yeah, I would have been happy. Um, and and she's always watching my fantasy drafts and and uh, over the shoulder that sort of thing. So I think she would have been happy about me getting the friend here, anyways. Well, but if your, wife's, um, if
1: your wife's a Ranger fan, you are too. It's like that scene in Pulp Fiction where Sam Jackson's like, "My wife's a vegetarian," yes. which pretty much makes, makes me, a me a vegetarian.
2: vegetarian. Too. Yes. So um, but in, in, in the real world, I ended up here with, uh, with Quinton Byfield, and I've got no complaints um, in, in that choice either. Um, that being said, I don't I didn't have any requirements or expectations um, for Byfield to play this year. Um, I would have made that pick, you know, if, if Los Angeles had even come out and said um, out of the gate that, that we're gonna be sending Quinton back to uh, the OHL, Uh, right after they made the selection. Uh, Obviously, that wouldn't happen, but um, I would have made this selection either way. Um, That being said, uh, Will and I did have a a few talks uh, leading up to the draft about trading this pick. Um, And I don't know if I would have had the balls that he did to pick Rossi at third, but that probably would have been the guy that I'd have been after um, if I could have ended up somewhere in the five slot, six slot, something like that in the draft. Um, So I think Will did... Really good, but um, also also took a, a really big swing there at, at three.
1: All right. Well, spoiler alert: third overall, uh, Will Scouch, Minnesota Wild, uh, picks Marco Rossi. So going into the draft, a lot of the um, analysts and pundits on TV and podcasts were saying that, that it's a clear cut first overall. It, it's Alexis Lafreniere, and then it's the closer race is between second between Tim Stutzla. And Quinton Byfield And Will goes ahead and jumps to queue And takes Marco Rossi Who kind of fell in the NHL draft A little bit uh, I think he went ninth overall to um, Minnesota And Buffalo taking um, Jack Quinn His Ottawa 67's teammate ahead of him Bit of a head scratcher for, for most people I think, I guess that's the kind of thing that happens When a franchise fires its entire scouting staff Leading them to the draft Um so, Will, let's talk a little bit about why you like Marco Rossi right here so much. Is it because of the the scoring and the fantasy slant that we put on it? Or if you were an NHL GM, would you have also taken him
0: before Tim Stutzla or Lucas Raymond? Well, on my personal list going into the draft, he was at three for me. Um, Stutzla and Raymond were not far behind. But when it comes to fantasy, especially in this league my hunch is that it's more likely that Marco Rossi plays center for the Minnesota wild. I think he could play center for them this year. Like all you got to do is look at who they have at center. And, you know, even if the team wins one game this season, uh, I'd rather him sort of grinding it out in the NHL and learning how to play there and play as a center. And I I think that's more likely for, for Rossi to play center down the road than it, uh, than Stutzla would. And so, you know, the you need centers in this league for sure. Uh, it certainly helps. I think Marco Rossi throws his weight around a lot more than Tim shoots a big issue that I had with Stutzla last year. Now he was playing against men granted. Um, but you know, just needs to get stronger, which is a big thing for him, but he's not known for really throwing his weight around a whole lot. Um, you know, Marco Ross is going to be a center. So the opportunity of blocking shots on a team that isn't likely to be extremely talented in Minnesota, you know, it all just kind of added up. Plus I've got brand loyalty. I am the Minnesota wild. Um, yeah. and so, you know, that, that, you know, can't lie if that didn't factor in, but, uh, the big thing with him is just the two way game all around, just so, so talented, uh, goal scorer, but also a playmaker. Um, you know, and then also just a natural center. So kind of, you know, like I think at the end of the day, Stutzler might score more points in his NHL career. But in terms of value in this league specifically, uh, I, I kind of went with my guy.
1: Yeah, I think I'm with Braden. That is a that's a ballsy pick, but I don't disagree with it. Um, and, you know, if, if I owned Minnesota Wild and had the third overall pick, I probably would have gone with the brand loyalty as well. Uh, kind of funny that way. Um there's no money involved in this pool, right? It's just it's just bragging, right? So you really don't have a lot on the line to lose here. It's not gonna cost you hundreds of dollars if you screw up a pick or a trade here and there. Um and it's really fun to to have the guy that you like to cheer for. And so I don't think Rossi was a stretch that being said. Um I think Tim Stutzla has a higher offensive pedigree, maybe, evil. Well, Hard to hard to really say that because Marco Rossi, you know, led the CHL in scoring, um, last last season. Uh, and he is, I think, he's done with junior hockey, and I think he's he's poised to play in the NHL this season, or or was uh, apparently he got injured. Um, so let's let's talk about the guy who you picked over him. Uh, Arizona coyotes were up next. Uh, Keith owns them, but he's not online. Uh, he took Tim Stutzler. Does anyone want to chime in on this that we haven't heard from yet? Maybe like, uh, Nick or Dave or Mark, would you, how'd you guys rank the, the top four? Cause that's where we're at right now. D- does anyone have it a little bit different? Would you have picked someone different in there? Let's try Mark.
4: Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, uh, First of all, I just want to say, uh, you know, this was my first draft. And uh, as you guys know, my strategy in the first few rounds was to not draft. Um, That pick at number three was originally mine or not originally mine. I traded for it and uh, won the lottery, moved from six till three. And I had been talking to Will about that pick. And I was pretty sure he was going to take Rossi with that pick and I thought about it myself, um, but I prefer to get a guy that's a little closer to, um, the NHL, although, although Rossi may play this year and uh, I mean, despite the, the injury that was, um, announced, I think today, but, uh, I traded that pick to him for Cody glass, um, because I think he's gonna, gonna have a better opportunity sooner. Although maybe not a higher upside in the long run. so, yeah, and Stutzla, I think that uh, he might be, um, you know, in the short term, the better choice between Rossi and, and, and Stutzla. Um, I think if, if I had have kept that pick, I probably would have went Rossi as well um, because I think uh, centers are probably more valuable in our league. And I'm not sure that Stutzla is a center. And Rossi, I think, is probably going to have a really good uh, chance to take over um, the number one center spot in Minnesota pretty soon. So that's that's probably, I probably would have went with Rossi as well, but I was also okay um, trade making that trade with Will.
1: That's an interesting trade. So the third overall for Cody Glass uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights. So it's it's, I guess you could argue that Cody Glass is a little bit more nhl ready at this point than than rossi i mean we're not sure if rossi's going to make the team or not or go back to uh i guess he's aged out of junior because he's a late birthday right um or he could have
0: i think he's on record saying he's either going to play in switzerland pro or in in north america pro but i don't think it's like nhl or switzerland
1: right i knew it was i knew that there was some reason why he'd ruled out another year of junior hockey and let's be frank um he doesn't really need to play junior hockey anymore. He's kind of, he kind of dominated last year pretty hard. So there's not really any reason for him to go back. So make some, make some money, <laughs> play pro hockey. Um, so, okay. So let's get someone who, who wasn't involved in that trade. Uh, let's go to, to Hayden. Who, how do you, how do you like that trade? Who do you think both sides win? Is it a little too soon to tell? I thought I, I think there were a few more pieces in it, but I can't remember
6: them. But obviously the main parts of it was Rossi for Glass. I feel like most people wouldn't have made that trade or traded away the pick just because you have a little bit more ownership and a little bit more excitement. Like When you get to choose who the top-end player is you have, when you have a pick that high, you know you're getting someone special. You know you're getting someone that is going to be a big part of your fantasy team for a long time and just having the freedom to make that pick yourself rather than have to pick someone that someone else is willing to trade away is I don't see that very often in fantasy hockey but that being said Cody Glass is like a pretty high pedigree prospect himself and Vegas is uh, Vegas knows how to score and is poised to be a strong team in that division once the divisions get back to normal so I'd
1: I thought it was a fairly fairly even trade. Drafting is definitely fun. Uh, I enjoy being involved in fantasy drafts. That's really the main reason why I'm in fantasy hockey leagues. Um, but I do believe that if you're trading the third overall pick just before your entry draft starts, its value will never be higher. Right? Like I think you might be able to to win that trade. Um, I'm not saying that it was a win. I think this is a pretty Pretty square deal. It's hard to tell when you're trading green bananas uh, which one's going to taste better in a few years. But uh, that was an interesting an interesting trade. So we got Lafreniere, Byfield, and Rossi all going in the top three. So Tim Stutzla um, slips to fourth overall. And he's picked by Arizona. So that's not much of a shock there. Um, and then we go to Columbus, who we've got on the horn. Dave picked Columbus uh, fifth overall. Uh, Dave, why don't you explain to us your draft strategy with the guy you picked?
3: So mine was pretty easy. Um, for the record, I I really wanted Rossi. I was hoping he'd fall to five, even though I secretly knew he wouldn't. But uh, So thanks for that. Uh, but my strategy was pretty easy. Uh, I just actually took over Columbus this summer and... I actually cleaned house quite a bit. I got rid of a lot of minor contracts. So my draft strategy is quite easy. It's just basically pick the best available guy. And uh, for me, it was easily Lucas Raymond. Um, especially, I, I'm pretty good. I'm good in the goaltending. I got Shisterkin and Samsonov, so I'm quite happy with those young guys. And I was I was happy with my center as well. So I think right wing Lucas Raymond was a pretty easy uh, decision for me. Um Okay, you just mentioned something that I I want to talk about. You
1: talked about your your team needs, and we're at the fifth overall pick. So at this point in the draft, is anybody looking at, like, how much value do you put on filling team needs versus um, going with Dave's strategy of of picking the best player available? So Dave just said he just takes the best player available. Um, What do you like to do there, Mark?
4: Uh, Well, I I think it depends, I guess, on where I think my team is um what my what I think my chances are and um you know if I like you know what I need so um yeah I mean like I guess it depends it all depends on the the exact situation there so I think my team is um I I think ready to contend right now um and didn't have a lot of holes to fill so um, I, I would draft, uh, current year, uh, draft players. I wouldn't be going after, uh, uh, just like filling a hole with, uh, with a, a big contract or something like that.
1: Right. I misspoke at the intro when I explained the league. Um, I lied. I said the only players eligible for this draft are entry draft guys and previously unknown players. That's, that's inaccurate. I'm confusing my leagues. Sorry about that. You could also pick any unknown free agent player, um, and with only 15 teams and it's a hard salary cap, there's a lot of, of star players who are very expensive, um, but star players who are unowned and were available for the draft. Now, not a lot of teams have cap space and it's a hard cap league, so you, you can't just drop players to make make your cap work. Uh, you got to be really careful and selective. And that aspect of our league really puts a tremendous emphasis on cap value. Um Hayden, what would you, what do you think about uh, in the top five picks of the draft going for best player available versus, um, you know, team need?
6: Well, unless you've made a pretty big trade, if you're picking in the top five, that means your team probably sucked last year and you should probably be going for best <laughs> player <fine>. available. <laughs>
0: um, not wrong. It's no, not it, wrong.
6: Not, not wrong it's we have a very competitive league we don't often get teams like tanking or are really sucking but like my point still stands if, if you have a pick that high you have it for a reason and the top player you can't pass up a chance for a top player if you personally feel there's a big gap between like the best center available and the best right winger available you shouldn't worry about where he's gonna slot in on like what eligibility fan tracks will have for him going
1: forward yeah fair enough um a uh, couple of leagues i'm in bottom feeder teams have traded away their their first round picks um so there are some pretty good teams that have you know top 5 picks in some leagues but i think in in the range right here these guys they're a bit of a no brainer um their upside just far outweighs the immediate dividends you'd get from guys who are otherwise available that just don't have the same sort of projection that, that this caliber of player does. Uh, so the next guy I picked was Boston Bruins uh, owner um, Mason Black. Um, he picked Alexander Holtz, New Jersey Devils winger. Uh, he was, you know, the other, the next best player, I think. I don't think anyone would kind of have any qualms or arguments about alexander holtz going six overall would anybody see it differently nope so that moves us on to our expansion gm nashville uh nick so you had the seventh overall and so here's a good opportunity to talk about positional need versus best player available because as an expansion team you probably had some positional needs is this a thought that crossed your mind or was this a decision you had to make or or the guy you picked, was he just no contest? This is who I'm taking.
5: I I think it was kind of just no contest, I guess going into it and taking a look at some of the drafts from the league in the past, trying to get a sense as to the value of players and like how everyone spoke before about, you know, how high do available free agents go with, uh, with heavy contracts and the points they can produce um, and then just looking what I was able to piece together, uh, pre-draft, uh, with the expansion, um, I think, I think this is sort of almost automatic. I kind of thought that Askara would be there at that spot, um, in, in any, in any case. So, and then and it's a, also a nice kicker too, that I'm writing for Nashville. So that just makes things just that much more, uh, that much easier to follow, um, and I, have a, I, have a, I have a couple okay goalies in the minors right now, but it, uh, it's nice that uh, there's, a, there's a high ceiling for him and I can just kind of make that pick right now for my goaltenders for the future and then just turn the page on that and uh, go into next year's draft and just focus elsewhere. So it's kind of automatic. I was really hoping he'd be there and I, I figured he would be. Um, if Holtz had slipped, I think I was looking at him too. Um but uh, like everyone's saying, it's, I think it, it's pretty automatic that uh, best player available, even here at number seven or eight, you just, uh, you, just, you just go with it. So
1: Yeah, and the way our scoring works, you've got basically skaters, which is all your forwards and defensemen grouped together in their same scoring categories. And then you've got goaltenders, and there's about seven categories for each. Um, so goalies can make or break a week, right? Because usually the margin of victory on skaters is is not too too wide. Um, and then the goalies, you only have one or two, and they have about fifty percent contribution to your to your week's victory or, or loss. So they're heavily weighted, I find, anyways. So getting a guy like Askarov who projects to be, you know, a big deal, a franchise. Number one plays a lot, wins a lot, kind of pad your stats. Is uh, is reassuring to have. Um, the next guy I picked was Carolina, Yoki um, Nevalainen. He picked Cole Perfetti, Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I really liked that pick. I thought that was uh, the way to go, which. At that point, the top eight, this, that was kind of the first tier for me. And then there was a big drop-off after that. Um, and then Will's up again. He's got the ninth overall pick. So, Will, at this point, were you shocked or not shocked by anyone that was, that was picked? Or were you thinking, man, I wish I would have had the eighth instead of the ninth overall pick? Or are you happy with yeah. your
0: guy? I was pretty happy with Lindell. I think there was a period where I was talking to a couple of people about moving back. um, And it was basically contingent on, you know, none of Holtz, Perfetti or Lindell being available at nine. I mean, Drysdale crossed my mind. Um, I don't know how much value he's going to provide. Same goes for Jake Sanderson. Um, But uh, Anton Lindell for sure. Uh, Again, it's the center thing for sure. That's one big thing. Um, Part of it is like seeing him play this year and what I saw last year. Uh, so there's a lot of things that sort of came together there. I think Florida is going to, you know, based on how they drafted overall, I think they have a pretty good looking future. Um, and so, you know, all these things all coming together, I think Lindell, you know, may not be the most uh, efficient you know again similar to Rossi not maybe a guy that's going to score 80 points a season but uh certainly a useful player that's going to drive up a lot of useful uh data in this in this league that should help me you know do stuff
1: how do you feel about picking Lundell after the World Juniors because I was thinking exactly the way you about Lundell exactly the way you just said, where he's more of a two-way guy. He's a center. He'll have some immediate dividends, but I thought that his ceiling was maybe a little bit limited offensively. And then in my World Juniors preview episode with Marco Pombino, um, we pontificated that, you know, playing in Liga against men, that's that's kind of what his role was. Um, and then at the World Juniors, he was the number one center. And I was like, so this is going to be an opportunity for him to kind of, you know, flex his, flex his offensive. Muscle a little bit and, and show that he's Got some some skill and can score Some goals and he did exactly that um, And that kind of changed My perspective of him you know like if he just Went into the World juniors and, and played More defensively than offensively uh, My optimism for His progression offensively at the NHL Level would have been diminished now It's a small short tournament against You know 18 and 19 year old Or younger players Not NHL players um, But did that change your your outlook or your optimism for his offensive output? I mean fantasy hockey's really all about the offense right so
0: yeah i mean i think I think in my sort of thought process, I mean in my view, anyone who has been playing against pro level men's players in in Finland for two years um and, wouldn't, and I mean, this would have, under normal circumstances, been his third World Junior Championship. Uh, I think he was hurt for last year's. I think all things being considered, for him to go back and look as good as he did, I, I, it's kind of expected. But I think it just goes to show, you know, why when you look at production and stuff in a men's league overseas, and if it might look underwhelming, you kind of need to keep things in focus. Like, yeah, he might not be the most aggressive, offensive juggernaut you know, in the Liga at 17 or 18 years old. But, you know, the second he steps on the same ice surface as 17, 18, 19 year old kids who have come from, say, you know, the Czech Junior League or even the Czech Pro Leagues, but like the U.S. development team and and all that stuff, you kind of see what sets him apart. You know, there's a lot of pressure in the men's game. You know, there's a lot of physical intensity. Uh, and, And he's a guy who just knows how to, maybe not the most physically intense guy, but he knows how to manage it properly. He knows how to read play and and sort of anticipate things a step ahead. And, you know, that, that kind of was on display. I mean, he just, but then, you know, he puts the puck on his stick in this tournament and just puts his shoulder down and does what he wants basically. And it's, you know, kind of been on display over in Europe for a while. So for me, I thought, all right, you know, there's offense if he's not on the, you know, in the legal, in the Liga, but, um, You know, now you're starting to see all of those things sort of paying dividends. So, again, like I said, he was kind of like my number three of three, but I was more than happy to land him where I did. Yeah, that's probably who I would have picked at ninth overall as well.
1: Um, And I would have been begrudgingly disappointed about having to do that. Um, And then I would have been a little bit happier about it after the World Juniors. Uh does anyone have another guy that they would have taken at nine before we went on this run on D?
0: I'm I mean, I might jump in here. I I honestly thought about going for maybe a skilled winger here. I thought, you know, maybe not a Dawson Mercer, but I thought Rodion Amirov might be a guy that I might do at, at the, in the top 10. Um, I did think about Jake Sanderson as well, but I thought that he might slip uh, a little further than he did, but uh, he did not make it as far as I needed him to make it. So I did not.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, your next pick wasn't until um, 29th, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, I figured there would be an not overcorrection, 24. right? Like post draft people see Jake Sanderson and not scoring points and all that. And I figured there'd be like an overcorrection in fantasy leagues of people drafting him way lower than five, but uh It was a gamble, uh, but it didn't work, at least not for me.
1: Yeah, that's the downside about being in a league that has a lot of astute and savvy prospect guys that there's not many players slip or too many mistakes made. Um, Okay, so the next three picks were defensemen, like I alluded to, and Calgary Flames, Joel Henderson, Toronto Maple Leafs, myself, and then Hayden picked right after me with Colorado. We all picked D. And I tend to not put a lot of value or emphasis on D. Um, But to my point a minute ago, um, picking for your fantasy team needs versus the best player available. After we got past the ninth pick, my strategy kind of changed. So I was hoping to move up or down in the draft here because I was in the sweet spot where I didn't want to be. I either wanted to be in the top nine and get one of those blue chip prospects, uh, or I was kind of hoping to trade down and improve my assets. Or my, I had a lot of draft picks. I had more draft picks than I had roster spots for. So trading, you know, the 11th for two seconds didn't really make a lot of sense because I couldn't fit them in. And my team is kind of really feeling the pressure of the salary cap. And I had a, a position to fill on defense. So that's why I went with the player I picked. But Joel picked just before me and he took Jamie Drysdale, Anaheim Ducks. Um, He was the consensus by far and away, and it's not even close, top ranked defenseman at the start of the season last year. And lo and behold, he was the second player picked at the NHL draft right after Jake Sanderson. Uh, But we kind of flipped that around here for, for our draft. Uh, Braden hadn't heard from you for a bit. So, between Drysdale and Sanderson, why do you think Drysdale went ahead of Sanderson in our fantasy format? Is that the way you would have done it, too?
2: Yeah, I would have went that way, I think. Um, and, and I guess it, it comes down to uh, personal preference in some cases, probably. Um, Drysdale, you probably have a little more faith that that he's going to contribute on the offensive side of things, I think, um, than you would have that kind of faith in in Jake Sanderson, probably. And if I'm making that pick where Joel is, um, I'm, I'm probably doing the exact same thing. Uh, where And that by that same token, I think you can probably rely on, on Jake Sanderson for some of the more peripheral stats. But um, as we've found in, in this league, I think those peripheral stats are a lot easier to come by um, by claiming a guy on waivers or, or, or um, just through the free agent pool um, that, that has a nice small cap hit. You know, in the future, if, if you're relying on Jake Sanderson for some um, here and there offense and but more or less really relying on him for his block shots or, um, you know, such peripheral stats as that, then chances are you're paying him uh, way more money than you could pay another guy, um, you know, who could, who could provide the same sort of value later on. So, so like I say, I, I would have made the Drysdale pick there as well. Or made made the pick that I did a couple
1: a couple of selections later. Right. Yeah, you picked right after you picked back to back after this run on D. Uh, Marker, or, Marker, or Nick. Would either of you guys gone with uh, Jake Sanderson over Drysdale in this format? I
5: like Sand, or sorry, I like Drysdale. Um, for much of what we said before, too. Um, I think you know he's labeled as that uh, that offensive uh, source from the blue line. And I think that he, he's going to fit that mold or he's going to live up to what that top billing. And I find that Sanderson is not that he's not offensive, but he's sort of sort of that overall, um, contributor. Whereas I don't know if the offense is going to translate as much to the pro level as the peripherals, like, like we were discussing before. So I think, uh, I think Sanderson is still a, a great pick. Um, definitely going to he's going to grow really really well with that uh, that senator's team and come up and hopefully be the you know the Jared Cowan that never was for for Carlson here for Shabbat uh but hmm. uh i i really do think that uh, that Drysdale he's got that sort of that that sexiness that fantasy appeal um uh, but i think Sanderson's still a good pick um and it, i think it makes sense where he went uh, in this draft here just two spots below
1: right on anyone else think different
4: yeah I I agree with uh I agree with uh that assessment actually I wouldn't have went Drysdale before Sanderson but I would have been happy to get either one of those guys but I did uh you know a lot of my research for this draft I did by listening to you guys on your podcasts and uh, it seems like most people would have picked Drysdale ahead of Sanderson so that's that's where I got my pick from
1: right on so right in between those um it was my pick uh, Toronto Maple Leafs at 11th overall and On my previous episode like this one With Steve Laidlaw we kind of mocked My my dad for, for picking Mikko Lettinen um, in the First round uh, you know he's a Free agent signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs coming over from the KHL He had a really Good performance last year And started this year really strong in the KHL too scoring like a point a game Led the league in defense scoring Last year um, so as I mentioned, I had a, a positional need here um and he comes in on an entry level contract. so I'm hoping that he can contribute in a top four capacity with the Leafs this season, making you know the the league minimum or a really really affordable entry level contract um so that was part of my reasoning with going with this one there's the the brand uh loyalty as well as uh as will pointed out he's a he's a maple Leafs player and I'm running the Maple Leafs team in here, um, but another you know sentimental part of it. Uh, in between these drafts, uh, I suddenly lost my dad, so this pick was sort of a, an homage and an honor of of him. Uh, it just made it an easy pick. Uh, wasn't able to trade down, wasn't able to trade up, so I was like, yeah, screw it. I was going to take the pick. So that left Hayden at 12th overall, and he kept the D run going. Hayden, how disappointed were you that you didn't get Jamie Drysdale?
6: I was a little disappointed, uh, similar to what you said earlier about how that top, top eight or top nine was kind of the blue chip guys. And so I was really hoping one of them would fall. Didn't happen. And then I had talked to a couple of different guys about trading down because like, I, just like you said, we we're in that sweet spot where I wasn't really feeling like I was getting the value that I wanted out of that pick, but that's just how it goes as soon as you're out of that top tier of, or top couple tiers of guys. But there wasn't much of a market for trading down. The top guys I wanted were already taken, and it came down to, we hate it as fantasy prospect watchers, but for better or for worse, a player that is taken fifth overall is going to get every opportunity to succeed in their organization, and that's why I went with Jake Sanderson. Um, I I agree with the talk earlier. I would have taken Drysdale over him, but that didn't happen. But I was still kind of happy with Sanderson. I do think he's going to get a big role on the Sens in a couple of years. He looks like a a smart player, and even though his upside isn't isn't what I would have really hoped for in a first round pick in this draft a tough, this is a rotisserie pool multi-category so everything from points to plus minus to penalties to shots to block shots to hits and having a big minute defenseman that can fill every single category a little bit but even if they don't fill any particular category a lot is still good value so i
1: i took sanderson was anybody kind of shocked that I took Miko Lettinen 11th?
0: Well, you were talking about me making a ballsy pick with Marco Rossi. I mean, I like Miko Lettinen. Uh, <laughs> and I think, I mean, he'll play. I mean, I, I think that's that's pretty clear. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I does he turn out to be the 11th best player coming coming out of this specific fantasy draft? I don't think there's a... Nope. I think I'll, I, I'll answer I think that. There's, nope. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a chance. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that might never play and might not play for another two years, but you're going to get a guy who's going to step in. So I think there's value there. Um, it's, it's a bit of a different line of thinking. But when I saw that come off the board, I went, oh, okay, you know, and just, I mean, moved on with my life immediately. But it, it was interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's no way I would have picked him if I had a top eight or nine pick, but because I didn't. Um... I didn't feel like there was anybody who had you know, franchise upside left in the draft. So, yeah, I explained my reasons why for, for doing it already, so I won't, I won't double dip on that. Uh, was anybody did, else kind of blown away? I did think
6: Letnin was going to go in maybe either at the end of the first round or in the middle of the second round at the very latest because, like you alluded to, he's on a super cheap contract. And he's going to slot in right away, so he's going to have a tangible effect on our pool. And there's a good chance he's going to get a look on like the second power play unit, so we might even get into that power play category of our multi-cat scoring. So I don't think that was an unreasonable pick to make between the end of the first round and the middle of the second round, assuming you have that spot in your six defensive like roster spots to fill.
1: Would anyone else have taken him in the first round?
5: Crickets. I don't think maybe. I would have, but... Uh. <laughs> maybe
6: second
0: Maybe second for me, but...
5: Sure, second. I'm the new guy, so I'm still trying to figure this out. But what you said earlier makes sense, trying to fit him into the cap and getting a player like you can step right in. I think that makes sense. All
1: right, so that's the top 12. And now we got back-to-back New York Rangers picks. Uh, Braden, you're up with two picks uh of the last three in the round so why don't you break us down break break us walk us through your train of thought on on how you broke these picks down
2: yeah so the the, both these picks are kind of burnt vividly into my mind um i was i was slightly uh occupied at the time that i was making the picks so i remember going through my queue and and looking and i know that i had both these guys uh right near the top i can't remember if they were exactly in that order or or what? But um, I knew I was going to make the Dawson Mercer pick if he was available here, for sure. Um, I'd seen quite a bit of him over the last year, uh, both just in, in his in his QMJHL competition, but also in the uh, Canada Russia series. I was really impressed with him in that series. So I knew I was going to make that pick. Um, and that being said, the second one where I, I took Anthony Duclair um, was not a foregone conclusion for me. Um, you guys have already gone through the fact that there was... You know a certain list of players up till about the eight, nine, ten range that uh, that you guys would have been happy picking, and I, I I had a had a pretty good idea that those were going to be the guys that were gone. If they weren't, I would have taken one of them here, obviously. But um, Anthony Duclair is another guy, like you alluded to, Pete, who's I think on a fairly um, cost-effective contract right now. He signed for 1.7 in Florida, and. Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat, probably a little further behind the curve as uh, Will, where I, I like to say that I'm trying to make a run for it this year, not necessarily um, a top three finish, but I'd like to be competitive this year, where picking second overall this year, um, I obviously wasn't in the past season. Um, but getting a guy like Duclair on that fairly affordable contract, um, I think I'm going to be able to um, you know, slot in some further depth into my lineup. I know it was a bit of a ballsy pick and I thought I might get some eyebrows from it, picking in the first round. I think someone made a comment in our, in our draft uh, window there saying that, wow, I, I could have got a first round pick for, uh, for Duclair." I I don't know who it was who owned him last year and, and dropped him on his new contract. But, uh, but apparently they thought they, they uh, just had to get rid of him for nothing, I guess. So anyways, yeah, I think, I think getting him on, on that type of a contract is, is good for me. And, having three first round picks, obviously. Um, I, I could afford to take a bit of a unique strategy with uh, with the last one.
1: Yeah, I think he might have been dropped with like, you know, a clerical error where whoever dropped him, I can't remember who it was now. Um it was maybe. Anaheim, I believe, who dropped him. Yeah, I think he it was dropped Lucas. him before he signed his oh, new
6: yeah. deal. Yeah. After was some definitely of Lucas. The rumors had gotten out about <laughs> the money he wanted with Ottawa. I think it was just assumed that his new contract would be in like the three or four million range and he
1: wouldn't be able to fit it into his lineup. So he's definitely probably regretting that early draw. Yeah, and that's a perfect example of what I was saying earlier of how impactful the the salary cap and players contracts are any player that's got more than, I don't know, four years of term on his contract better be under 30 years old and better be elite. And anyone who's making anything close to or over double digits, um, better be elite and under 30 years old as well, or they're just not owned in this league anymore. (laughs) All right. So those were two of the last picks. Jack Quinn, New York Islanders were back to back to end the first round and start the second. They took Jack Quinn and Seth Jarvis and then we go right back to Braden and he goes with uh, he goes with a D, takes Caden Gooley from Montreal. Um Braden, what'd you like about him?
2: Yeah, I mean, to be quite frankly honest, I, I haven't seen as much of Gooley as, as I have a lot of other players this year. I watched him at the World Juniors, but um, I just needed a D and I had I had already selected three forwards. So um, you know, Gooley seemed like the the best guy available here and pulled the trigger.
1: And then Chinnikov went. I was more surprised by that than me taking Miko Letten in, in the first round. Um you Now I I was like a lot of people watching the draft, like, who 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 did Columbus just take? Um, so was anybody familiar with him before he was picked in the NHL draft? Did anyone see him getting picked at all, let alone in the first round? And you know, do we do we think he's got business being pick this high in our fantasy draft because he went in the first round of my other league too. So, you know, apparently he might just be one of those players who slipped under the radar that not a lot of people were talking about, but should have been.
0: So I've seen him for the last two years, a little bit off and on here and there. Um, I would not at all have picked him in the first round of this year's draft at all. Um, I mean, and I think if you were watching for him at the world juniors this year, you kind of see why like, he's not a super mobile guy, but the thing that he's got going for him is his shot. Like he, he has a pro shot. It's unreal. Um, the problem, though, is you know, for example, this year at the World Juniors, I was watching Arseni Gritsik, who was the guy who was on his line in junior. I think it was two seasons ago, and I always thought that Gritsik was the guy doing the dirty work and getting the puck to Chinnikov, and he would just put it in the net because that's what he does. So I think there's value in Chinnikov in terms of him being you know a guy that maybe Columbus can wrap uh, round out their game a little bit. Columbus isn't afraid of Triggerman. The other guy they drafted this year is uh, Michael Petia, who played for Finland this year, and he's basically a Finnish version of that he's got a really great shot doesn't get to the net with it a whole lot just like chinikov but you know there's tools there that you can work with and see what you can get out of him like i if i have liam foodie feeding pucks to igor chinikov in two years you're gonna score goals i think so it, it's it's a give and take thing i i personally think that drafting him in the first round was a little uh out there but i don't think they had a pick for a while and so if you think you like the guy then then you take him
1: yeah, I think that's exactly what happened, and I stopped second guessing Guermonprez Kekalainen And when he took uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois over Poulardy in, in the draft, and I was like, and like everyone at the draft, our our jaws all dropped. It's like, whoa, what just happened? And in hindsight, that was a pretty astute move. That was the right thing to do. Uh, so Columbus, you're back up now.
3: You're on the clock,
1: and Dave, you go with uh, Jacob Perot. What do you like about Perot here?
3: Yeah, so I don't want—I don't want to say that I regretted my pick, because um, I'm definitely a, a massive Trevor Ziegris fan, and that was basically the catalyst to to in Jacob Perot. Like all I envision is just Ziegris fishing him amazing passes, and Jacob Perot is definitely able to finish those off. But in hindsight, I actually would have—I don't know really why I didn't go with uh, Rodion Amirov. That was—he was kind of the guy on my queue, and I don't know if it was just the pressure of getting the pick off. But, uh, I think Amiro probably had a little more just in terms of the categories, maybe a little bit, uh, he may have been a better choice, but certainly Jacob Perot, Uh, yeah, like I said, Trevor egress feeding him pucks is something that I'm pretty excited for. And I think if anyone's going to be able to finish off in this, in this, uh, out of this little group, it's definitely going to be Perot. So
1: were you disappointed that Chenikov went one point ahead of you, the Columbus guy? <laughs>
3: Yeah, maybe if it was in the second round or a third round, sorry, um, <laughs> I, I, I won't lie when I was watching the actual draft and obviously I, I write for Columbus. So I was I had my I was kind of ready to go to write up a do my write up, just write, you know, try to get it in right away. And when he said that name, I definitely had to check my notes and go back and watch a few highlights. Just Yeah,
1: <laughs> you and everybody else, man. Uh, all right, so that's Perot. He's picked 19th overall in the second round. Boston takes uh, NCAA forward, Big Don, Dylan Holloway, who looked good for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Then we go to Joel, and he takes Roderick right there. Um, that was a great pick. And then Nashville's back on the clock. Uh, Nick, you get your second pick here. Uh, who's your guy?
5: My guy was Amirov, but he just got taken.
6: That happens. That happens.
5: (laughs) So yeah, I went with Reichel. I um, I guess there's a pedigree there um, with his dad playing in the league, and uh, I like what Chicago uh, has been doing in the past couple drafts. Even some of the guys that they're signing out of Europe, they seem to have uh, an eye for talent that way. And uh, you know, I was looking at centers, and I know that people have already mentioned like the value in centers. And uh, I looked at Bork and I thought maybe uh, maybe I could get him in the third. Uh, but then I didn't because he went right away. Uh, I think Will got him. And I even looked at Lapierre too. But Lapierre's uh, concussion uh, history and then just I uh, got injury plagued years scared me a little bit. So, uh, you know, one of the the reasons I took Reichel too is <laughs> this might be just like a blanket statement, but uh, just thinking With everything going on with COVID and all the leagues being backed up here in North America, and then you've got a lot of these uh, these younger players still playing over in Europe and getting all those reps. I just figured, why not just take another European player, and Raiko was right there. So, uh, that was sort of my mentality around that.
1: Right on. Yoki takes Hendricks LaPerrier and as you mentioned, that puts Will in the queue at 24th, and he goes with uh, Dallas Stars Maverick Bork. Um, that's a great name. That's a great, great hockey name, Maverick Bork. And I'm super glad that he was picked by Dallas as well. Uh, Will, what's your take on Borky here?
0: Well, uh, I, he's a weird one. I'm not surprised he went where he did in the draft. Um, but I think that what you're going to get out of him is a lot of offense. So my first two picks were kind of like, ah, you know, you need centers, you need guys who might be able to hit and you need this and you need that. And I, I got to this point and it's like, all right, now I need guys who can score points. Like that's kind of the thing. And with Maverick Bork, Uh, I think he was one of the smartest playmakers that you're going to see, uh, at least in this year's draft, like he's never out of the play. He makes things out of nothing. Um, there, there's a lot to like. And so I figured, you know what, looking at who the names are on the board here, you know, my brain kind of went to Bortolo, maybe Brisson, um, You know, Paterka crossed my mind, but Maverick Bork also plays center mostly. Uh, So all of these things kind of came together. And I thought, you know what, Uh, his vision and and his creativity is something that I want to I want to keep around and see what happens, Uh, even even considering, especially since I have Rossi Lundell off the top. So uh, it seemed like a bit of a no brainer there for me, Um, mostly based off the offense, because I need you need offense.
1: Yeah. Connor Zary goes right next. He might have been another candidate as well. I know he was highly regarded. And then it's back to Brayden. Brayden, you take Tyson Forrester, uh, Philadelphia Flyers pick. What's your uh, What's your take on Forrester?
2: So Forrester here, um, kind of by the same token as uh, Will, where he where he was looking at Maverick Bork, you know, a lot for uh, what kind of production he'll give him, you know, on on the score sheet. Uh, once we got to this point in the draft, I think we're looking at guys who are going to be two years uh, down the road for the most part. And God knows where my team's going to be. Like, like I alluded to earlier, um, those peripheral stats. I I know that to some extent, I'm going to be able to rely on the waiver pool or or the free agent pool for for those peripheral stats. To, like I said, to some extent. But um, getting a guy like Tyson Forrester who can put the puck in the net um, is going to be um, Un- undeniable value, I think, so long as as he does uh, continue to progress and and does end up in the NHL. Um, like I say, two years away, probably two to three years, maybe, uh, till we're getting that kind of production out of him. But um, that's that's kind of the uh, the strategy that I had there was that it needed to be someone who's going to be able to put points on the board because otherwise um, it's you're you're kind of uh, relying on on projection and the fact that uh, a player might you know just be uh, putting up peripheral stats.
1: and hayden you wrapped your draft up with this next pick you only had a first and a second uh, and you picked brendan brisson vegas golden knights mm-hmm. um how do you feel about your draft with only two guys
6: i was trying to get some more picks in the late rounds in the fourth and fifth well i actually had deals in place that fell through that i don't want to get too sad and mopey on this discussion but i wish my draft was longer than it was but i was happy to get Breeson on here will mentioned him in his kind of short list a couple picks ago and he's just a, a good looking centerman that looks it's like adapted to the ncaa really well and we're late enough in the picks now that these are guys that have good upsides but there's the chances are there that these guys might not make the nhl or might even be 50-50 by the time you get by the end of the first round or into the second round of the NHL draft. So you want to take guys that look good and have upside, but also look realistically like they could be NHL players down the road and you think have a chance of doing that. And everything about Brisson so far makes me confident that in three or four years he could be an NHL player on Vegas.
1: Yeah, I like him. I think he's got some upside for sure. Um, so, disappointed you only had two picks in the draft. Um, and then Columbus, Dave, you had five. So, you went with um, Lucas Raymond at fifth. And then Jacob Perot in the second round at fourth overall. Then you had uh, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. You went with Noel Gundler, William Wallinder, and Rasmus Anderson. couple of D to round out your draft. How do you feel about all the guys you got? All five of them.
3: Well, Noel Gunler is my my boom bust. Um, you know, who knows if he. Carolina had a, I, I liked Carolina's draft, but uh, actually I I wanted merit here, and I sh- this was another one. So both my second round and my third round, I kind of, I went back and forth who I was gonna pick, but I ultimately went Noel Gunler. Just you know that shot is just unreal. In hindsight, like I said, because I already have Perot, who's a nice trigger man, I probably should have went another route, but I liked Gundler from the get-go and I just decided to stick to my guns. Um, in terms of the finish off D, that's the one thing that went obviously. I got I had some scoring that I <laughs> I picked up, so I definitely had to switch it up and go some D. And I just feel Will, William Wallinder, even though he's a couple years, you know, down the road, I just thought he was a, a nice prospect. Um That was available out of the out of the crew. There wasn't too many available, so I thought he was a pretty easy pick. And Rasmus Anderson was a, you know, he was my one free agent signing. And uh, I don't know. I think he has. I think he has good potential to to make some noise this year. And he was a pretty cheap option for me too. I don't have a lot a lot of money to work with, so I thought, uh, yeah, I thought he was an easy pick for me.
1: Yeah, he was cut loose. His new contract. So what is he making? Like four point
3: five for about five or six years or something in that neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Something around there. And also I knew that I probably wouldn't, I know Joel would probably want him at some point. So I knew I probably wouldn't get him in the waiver wire. So I thought I'd just go.
1: Right. So my take on D and, and leagues like this is uh, four about 4 million bucks is kind of like my threshold where if I got a defenseman on my roster, that's making 4 million bucks, he better be a superstar. So Rasmus Anderson not a superstar but he is only 24 years old and with the term that they gave him he's probably going to evolve into their number one defenseman um, so while 4.5 million might be kind of uh, kind of a lot for him this year or maybe next but I think he's really gonna grow into that contract nicely as opposed to some guys who sign six-year contracts it's the back end that really kills you um, so this is a really curious curious player. He's available in my other my other league too, and I'm I'm eyeballing him. Um what's what's anyone else's take on on Anderson here? Hayden.
2: Joel? Well, I
1: think
6: it's the pick is aging well now that we see Anderson uh getting tried out on Calgary's top power play unit in training camp. So that's looking good.
0: <laughs> yeah, we need Joel to chime in on this one. All right, so that's Whoa. Go ahead. Will. I was gonna. I was gonna say I dropped Anderson, so uh, I'm terrified of that contract, and I need to cap money. So uh, enjoy whoever, whoever, whoever it was. The it, anyway, whoever's got him, enjoy good. Columbus. <laughs> yeah. All right. Have fun. <laughs> I yeah. That,
1: yeah. That's Dave. So t- tell me about why you dropped him. <clears throat> it. It's all the contract, right? You don't. You don't think he's gonna play into that contract?
0: I think a lot of it also was in that. I think it was Hayden who brought it up. Uh, a big thing. Or with the Cody Glass trade, I managed to get Sean Walker in that deal as well. Um, and I think Sean Walker, you know, isn't Rasmus Anderson, but he's about half the money. And uh, I also have a lot of young defensemen on the way that might need some space. So, you know, sadly had to drop him.
1: Yeah, what sucks about it is is you, you weren't able to move him and, and recover anything for the asset. Besides cap space, I mean, and nobody wanted him four and a half million dollars worth of cap space is valuable. Um, Yeah, no, no one wanted him because they all knew that you were going to drop him and he'd be available for free. Uh, Okay, so that moves us on to the Edmonton. And uh, Mark, you had three picks. Uh, You didn't pick until like super late. So you haven't had a lot to say in this draft yet. (laughs) But you come away with Jason Barron and Alexander Barabinov. And Sebastian Aho, the defenseman version of Sebastian Aho, um, how much did it suck not picking until like the end of the draft?
4: Yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's not fun sitting back and watching it all go down. Um, although I did kind of enjoy watching you guys, like um, you know who you liked and and what you guys did with this draft, but. Uh yeah, continuing with the theme, I my stra- my strategy was kinda to not draft. I had uh I had traded my second rounder last season for I don't remember what, and uh I had also traded my first, which ended up being like the last one of the first round um in another deal, but then I had gotten uh I think it was Anaheim's, I can't remember, but that was the fourteenth pick. And um basically what happened there is that with the expansion draft, um, I had a lot of uh, good young defensemen that I couldn't find a way to protect, uh, and I kind of panicked a bit and started trying to trade away a lot of them, some of them probably for uh, nickels on the dollar and and others maybe for, you know, hopefully um, good value. But So I ended up with not a whole lot in the cupboard for defense, um, and I ended up trading the 14th pick for Ty Smith, um so the way I look at it my first round was uh you know Cody Glass and Ty Smith with so I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Um and then I had a pick my first what would have been my first pick was in the middle of the fourth round and I was ready to make that pick and I don't even I couldn't tell you who I was going to take at that point. It might have been Justin Barron or it might have been somebody else on my list. I'm I wish I could remember. But uh, Will sent me a a last-minute deal um, because he knows I like to make trades. And uh, it was one I couldn't refuse. He sent me uh, Jan Yenik for what turned out to be uh, round four, pick six, so like pick 51. And, yeah, he took Daniel Gush in there um so i'm I'm okay with that. like I'm a fan of Jan Yennick and he's close to playing, and the, I sort of uh, tend towards those kind of guys, especially later in the draft if I can. Um, Justin Baron, um, that was my first pick at pick sixty at the end of the fourth round, and he was kind of like you know, again, being sort of light on defense, and he was on my list. he was the 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 highest one uh, left and in fact I think he he dropped really far in, in my opinion I mean he's not like a he's not flashy or uh, um you know like considered one of the high end offensive defensemen but I think he's kind of um, like Hayden was talking about earlier he's come one of those defensemen who's kind of good at everything but not great at any one thing and I'm hoping that he uh, you know makes the NHL and doesn't sign a massive contract, but is useful for me for a few years. And then uh, my next two picks were pretty much near the end. I think the second and third last picks of the draft. And at this point um, on looking at my, my 2020 list, there's not much left that I'm interested in. Um, I'm, I'm looking for uh, cheap players that I think could help me this year as call ups, but not a lot of upside. That's, that's, um, Uh, sort of low-risk picks that I can use. Um, So Barabanov, you know, right now he's looking like probably a fourth liner, but um, he could contribute in a few different categories if I have an injury or something like that. It doesn't cost a lot. And Sebastian Ajo, um, you know, the defenseman, not the forward, uh, he's had, you know, some pretty good – he's been pretty good over the last few years um, and looked good when he had a little bit of time in the NHL and he was really good last year in the AHL. Uh, I don't know that he, if he will or won't um, get a lot of time um, with the Islanders this year. But he should certainly probably be on the taxi squad. And I think if he, if he gets a chance, he could be another one of those sort of all-around defensemen that could, could help me out on a cheap contract.
1: Yeah, there's some value in, in that with having players who are kind of, on the bubble of the team kind of maybe on the taxi squad or whatever, go up and down from the minors um, you can move them from your prospect bench to your active roster when they get recalled and sent down if you're lucky it coincides with when another player on your team gets injured they have super duper low salary caps so you can call them up and move them down call them up and move them down if they're in the nhl um, and fit them in and, and get some games played in in your roster that you know if, yeah, if it's on the end of the week and you've got no one playing on a Sunday and the Leafs are playing and Barabinov is, is in the lineup, then you can you know swap out a make a roster move and, and add him in and get an extra, an extra push in your hits category, maybe. Uh, so back to Will, Minnesota, you had like eight picks or whatever it was, eight or nine picks, and we went yeah, over I a would... lot of them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you had two firsts and two seconds. So Rossi Lundell, Maverick Bork, Thomas Bordalo. So far, so good. Um, and then the third round, you go Murat Kushnadinov. Now, mm-hmm. there, there isn't a more polarizing player from the draft class than Murat Kushnadinov. A lot of the, the NHL media guys really love him. And then I noticed that a lot of the prospect writers and whatnot, not so fond. Uh, I'm the, the Dauber's draft cast guys. They don't really like him at all. Um, I, Cam has a certain amount of disdain for him, I believe. Um, you picked him 35th overall. So obviously
0: you're more on the you like him side than you don't. I mean, I had him ranked, I think, higher than anyone last year. Um, Cam can also uh, screw off. Um, he is <laughs> uh, he's you know, he is known for being wrong from time to time. Um, sure. But yeah, I mean, with Murat, I mean, I had him ranked really high, but I knew he would be available later. I mean, the big thing with me and him, I mean, now now there's a bunch of centers that I've got off the board in the first few rounds. Um, you know, Murat is a guy who throws his weight around. He is small, but uh, he certainly puts it all out there on the ice. I was very impressed to see him playing uh, first-line center for the Russian team this year, even though they didn't do a whole lot. Um, I thought that he had a pretty good tournament overall. Uh you know, not spectacular, but he'll probably be back next year. Um, SKA St. Petersburg seems to really love him. I follow all their Russian language social media just to keep up and he's all over it. Uh, You know, not that that, automatically makes him a very highly valuable player. But, um, you know, everything I've heard about him is is so interestingly positive. Again, brand loyalty to the Minnesota Wild. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of what he brings to the table. Uh, I, I think looking back on this draft already, the, I mean, the, the fact that John Jason petarga went two picks later um, – Maybe it would have been nice to have him, but I think, I think Kuznijinov is going to be a guy who, in maybe not two years, but few more years of, of getting stronger and more comfortable against better competition, um, I, I mean, just the way that guy plays the game, if it's anything like that in the KHL uh, in a couple of years that it is in the MHL, then I'm all, I'm all about it. I, I just want to see what's going to happen with this guy's career. Yeah, sorry, I got
1: confused. I was thinking Makama Um He's a Polish oh. player. Yeah, Yeah. no,
0: I didn't touch that guy. No way. There you go.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> so,
0: and your next pick,
1: Ozzy Weisblot. I really like that pick. That's a player who, if he makes it in the NHL, is going to not be a superstar. So he'll never make, you know, $10 million contract. Um, he'll always be an affordable player. He might not score a whole lot of points at the NHL level, but he'll contribute in a whole lot of other categories too. So I really like that pick. I picked him in, in my other league. And then you've got Daniel Gushin and Topi Niemela rounding out your draft. So those are some some great picks there, man. Um, you must be really happy with all, all of those guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of, when I picked the team up, uh, I kind of leveraged people being willing to trade draft picks. And I was kind of in a situation where my team, when I picked them up in Florida, they were just kind of, middling and not doing a whole lot. So people seemed willing to hand over picks. And I knew that 2020 might be a pretty good draft. So I kind of stocked up uh, a couple of names I liked slipped and I had some space on my roster. There were some old guys that I managed to, to offload uh, some new contracts that I want nothing to do with. So, you know, turned over some roster space, uh, added some guys, maybe one that's going to play this year. And so I, I thought overall, yeah, it's a lot of picks, but I've got a lot of other guys that are kind of hopefully ready to hit the NHL in the not-too-distant future.
1: Right. And Nashville, you had, like, seven or eight picks as well. So, Nick, you did your expansion draft. You had all kinds of room, I believe, on your roster for picks. And you were able to pick up a couple of picks um, in trades and whatnot, probably for taking crappy contracts from guys in the expansion draft. So you walk away with Askarov in the first, uh, Lucas Reichel in the second, which we talked about. Then you went German again and took Paterka. Uh, And you all got Luke Evangelista. And then you just crushed my world and took Zayd Wisdom. I thought for sure I'd be able to get him. Um, And Lucas Cormier and then Luke Shen. So the interesting thing for me there is you went almost all futures here. Uh, Luke Shen is the only active player that you selected. And I don't really see anyone out of your draft that is going to contribute right away maybe even including Shen. Um, so you're definitely looking at all futures here, right?
5: Big time. Yeah. I, uh, like I was saying before, like it was, I've never been in a, in a draft where you've got so many things to factor in from futures to current players that are going to contribute. Um, and then the cap too. So, so many factors. I just, I figured I'd keep it simple and just go futures and try and load up uh, on, on, on prospects um yeah, the Shen one, that was sort of a panic <laughs> a panic move. I didn't want to hold up the draft uh when that was my pick and I was trying to just just to squeeze somebody in that had a reasonable contract uh so that I could maybe make some more moves in um in the waivers when that got started. But um, but yeah, I'm I'm happy with what with what I got. Um <laughs> I was definitely listening to a couple of your uh your podcasts. I think you were talking to Craig Button about wisdom and you guys were both uh really excited about him and just being a buzz saw, and and again all those peripheral stats too so yeah i don't mean to burst your bubble but you kind of tipped me off on that too but
1: damn but, you uh, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you're gonna have to trade him to me then that's, well, they, that's all there is yeah. to it so Maybe. you know i'll you know i'll overpay for him so um <laughs> there's the incentive there
5: yeah. I'm
0: just gonna th- I'm gonna throw my hat into that ring too. I was really mad to see him go off the board immediately after Daniel Agustin. I was hoping he'd slip. No. Uh, so yeah, I'll be in those trade talks too. I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, have a look at my roster there, pal, and uh, and pick someone off my prospect bench or whatever that you like. I got I got lots of good players. You know, Dmitry Chimishov. Looking good on the Islanders. If you want a Nashville guy, I'll give you Yaakov Trennan for him. This
6: is not a free advertising space, Peter. We need equal uh, volume if we're going to
1: get to shout about
6: all of our trade bait in our minors. We'll talk offline.
1: You're right. We'll talk offline. Uh, okay, so then we got two more teams left to an- analyze their draft. That's me and uh, Braden. So, Braden, you had a bunch of picks too, man. And you had three in the first round and three in the second. So we kind of covered most of your picks. Byfield, Mercer, Declare, Gooley, Forrester, Braden Shen. And then you had a third and the fifth. You go Vasily Ponomareov and Joe, Jumbo Joe Thornton in the fifth round. How excited were you about your draft, man? You were very busy. You made all kinds oh. of trades, all kinds of picks. You were all over this draft.
2: Yeah, yeah. Looking at, looking back at it, kind of in aggregate, um, I, w- I was all over the place, really. I was. Um, I, I, I'm happy with it, though. I got I got two of the guys, two of the prospects that um, I really liked watching in the queue over the last year um, in in Dawson Mercer and and <clears throat> So uh, that that makes me happy as far as futures go. Um, and then uh, kind of in contrast to that, uh, like it, like we talked about earlier, I, I picked Duclair at the end of the first round and finished the draft off with Joe Thornton. So two guys on uh, fairly affordable one-year contracts that um, by the looks of it right now are, are both uh, in training camp lining up on, on their respective team's first line. Um, I don't know if Thornton's still there, but I, I, I saw here yesterday that Duclair's uh, slotting in right next to uh, Barkov and Huberdo. so um, if if those um, you know stand pat like that, I'll be uh, ecstatic about about how I came out of the drop um, in terms of like I say, both futures and uh, current players that that are going to contribute on on affordable contracts for me.
1: It's a fine draft. I really like that Dawson Mercer pick. That's who I picked in the first round in my other draft. So that leaves uh, one last team to review. Myself, I went Maple Leafs heavy. I'm not. I'm not. Not gonna lie. I'm not ashamed about it. And I only had uh, the first round pick, Miko Letnin, 11th overall, and then late, late picks, 50, 56, and 71. Uh, and I went Wayne Simmons, kind of the same idea, cheap player, fill in my. Uh, my forward roster, I let some guys go. Uh cheap contract, peripheral stats, not expecting him to score double digits goals this season, but uh he could have a pile of hits and a pile of penalty minutes. And I think the Leafs might stick him in front of the net of the power play. So he might get a few power play points as well. Alexi Melnichek um rounded out my goaltending depth. I was a little thin and I have um uh, Bishop in goal so if there's any chance that he can come in and, and wrestle a starting position away in San Jose it's, it's not out of the realm of possibilities with the competition that he's looking at and then I rounded out my draft with, uh, with the Leafs long term prospect and Ronnie Hervonen uh, so that was the draft boys what, uh, what was everyone's favorite part of fantasy strategy how did your fantasy strategy work out for you is a better question
0: Not get, I not hope it worked. I, I hope it worked well.
6: <laughs> we all think I'll that. I'll tell you in three years. <laughs> yeah. Right.
2: Are are we anointing a winner? Has anybody anointed a winner?
1: Uh, no, no, we haven't.
2: I feel like that's up to the commission, but
1: I think you're right. <laughs> I think it's too
6: early to call a winner. I think a lot of people had good drafts at this point. It's easiest to call the winner just the people who had the most picks and have that many good like lottery tickets to turn out. But I'm definitely not going to call Will a winner. In the neither game. will I.
1: No, I can't honestly, do that.
0: if I had to throw one out there, I'd say Calgary had a good one. Only four picks, but you come away with Drysdale, Amirov, Zari, and Robbins. Like, that's that's pretty solid. Calgary was the
6: team the that round. most consistently stole the next guy I was going to take. And it was especially painful because in most rounds he picked like two picks before me. And almost every single round I was sending him messages I can't repeat on this podcast. <laughs> so that, that's a good point, Will. That's a good way to judge who won the draft.
1: Anaheim had an interesting draft as well. He picked Bobby Ryan, Eric Halla, Pius Suter, Carl Soderberg, and Ryan Miller. No futures there at all. These are all 20-plus something, 30-plus something players. Uh Didn't have uh, his earliest pick was 28th overall, and that was Bobby Ryan, um, which I was happy to let someone else pick. I didn't want any part of that. But uh, that is an interesting draft strategy, right? Like, that's just something that's totally different. So I'd have to look at Lucas's team and, and see, like, his, his prospect bench, just really flush that he's not worried about the futures, uh, and maybe he's got some cap problems. And he just need to get some cheaper players because these guys should all have, you know, small cap hits going into the season. I thought that was interesting as well. It um, well, it's good that we had an
6: example of someone who's clearly going for it and doesn't give a crap about the future. Because Anaheim, that team in our pool, has been near the top of the standings for the last three years, and he clearly right. doesn't want to give up that streak even if that means spending all five of his draft picks on guys that are on like one-year deals
1: (laughs) kind of like uh anaheim holding on or sorry detroit holding on to that long long 25-year playoff streak and they mortgage the future just to make the playoffs and they didn't really think they were going to go anywhere as long as they made the playoffs and now they're recouping from that so i'm predicting in a few years lucas might have uh might have some pain We'll Lucas, see. if you're listening, Peter just said you're not going anywhere. No, no. A few years down the road. Uh, I hope I don't meet Lucas in the playoffs this year, because uh, like, like you said, his team's pretty solid. Uh, Nashville's GM. New addition to the league. Expansion draft. Entry draft. That's so... Uh, you gotta be loving this league, man. That's, that's a lot. and We haven't even had hockey yet. Hockey hasn't even started, and you've already, uh, you've already had a lot to to do in this league so that must be fun eh?
5: That was fun at first it was overwhelming um, a lot to take in but uh, when everyone was uh, looking for an excuse to sink their teeth into anything fantasy I was scrolling through spreadsheets and looking at past drafts and working the uh, the (laughs) the twitter messaging back and forth and in the email so that was a lot of fun to dive right in uh, in the middle of the fall so Pretty excited to get involved. It's uh, You guys are already a good group of guys. And uh, it's it should be fun leading up to this week.
1: Right on, right on. So this has been going on. I think it's time to wrap it up. Thanks for, for coming on, everybody. And as I mentioned, these guys are all hockey writers um, covering teams for Dauber Prospects or in addition to other places. So just a final quick roll call. So if anyone is listening wants to know where we can find some of your thoughts and contributions and work uh hayden you cover the uh toronto maple Leafs for dauber prospects do you write anywhere else i cover
6: colorado and toronto for dauber prospects and uh usually in the mid-season and off-season dauber reports but that's about it for the moment and your twitter handle good luck spelling my last name it's
1: H. S-O-B-O-L-E-S-K-I. Something like that. Um and Dave Columbus. Uh you cover the Columbus Blue Jackets foras. What's your Twitter handle, Dave? Hall 1289. Hall H A L L.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I also you- cover uh Florida as well. Double
1: dipping. Two guys double dipping. Right on. And uh, Mark, you've been with Dogger Prospects for a while now. You cover the Edmonton Oilers. What's your Twitter handle?
4: Uh, well, I used to do Detroit. I did the Red Wings for a couple of years. Um, I'm not writing right now. I'm uh, real life's getting in the way. Plus, all my my fantasy teams. I've got too many, I think. But my, you can find my opinions on my Twitter uh, at Angry Puck.
1: Real life sucks. Fantasy hockey writing is way better. Um, Will Scouch, Minnesota Wild. um, What's your Twitter handle and and where all do you write for, man?
0: Uh, Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Scouching. Uh, I write for McKean's Hockey. I'm a contributor there. We've got a a nice uh, monthly installment series uh, looking at prospect development that's uh, on the way. Just finished the second one, so that's all good. There's also a YouTube channel at Scouching as well, so that's a nice little starter kit.
1: Yeah, I'm on Team McKean's this season, too. It's a good hey. uh, good team to be with. The yearbook is fantastic, by the way. If yeah. you haven't got it, um, subscribe, download. And I saw that Rob posted that they actually made a, a limited print version of it this year, which I must own. Uh, Braden Olson, New York Rangers, associate editor, New York Rangers prospect writer. Uh, what's your Twitter handle, Braden? And what else do you write about?
2: uh yeah just the rangers right now is all i'm writing uh pete uh my twitter handle is olaf 1393 same format as dave four letters four numbers uh olaf like the snowman um and yeah no no just uh like i say for the most part just uh writing writing for the rangers and and actually doing a lot of work with uh tony ferrari and and our scouting group with uh with dauber prospects doing some uh, regional um, evaluation of prospects, draft eligible prospects in the queue this year. So um, that's, that's been a lot of my time this year, dedicating a lot of, a lot of effort to that.
1: And you're doing good stuff, man. And last but not least the Nashville expansion guy, Nick, um, what's your Twitter handle and what do you write?
5: Uh, the Twitter handle is Nicholas Kauka. So N I C H O L A S um, K A W K A. Just writing for Dauber, uh, just on the Nashville prospect side.
1: And an excellent addition to the team and the pool you've been. Boys, thanks very much for uh, joining me on this podcast. I hope everyone who listened to it uh, found some some value. Maybe you uh, got some strategies for your own drafts that may or may not be hopefully coming up soon as the NHL season is gearing up for what we hope will be a complete, as complete as it can be anyways season and then maybe next season things start kind of sliding back into the, the normal routine and schedule all right so that's it for this episode thanks very much for listening if you enjoy the show go ahead hit that five star review like subscribe all that good stuff thanks boys see uh see you in the league and we'll talk uh we'll talk offline zed wisdom trade bud